Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. With that, I'm going to jump into our message today. Our sermon uh, series title uh, is simply uh, history, a history within his story. So if you're taking notes, this is part two of the installment that we began this past Wednesday night. Uh, You know, honestly, uh, there is so much more to the Christmas story than we I certainly ever realized uh, growing up uh, from everything from just watching your your uh, average Hallmark movie to watching uh, religious movies. We always get the basic story of the virgin birth, uh, you know, uh, in Bethlehem and everything else. But there's so much more to that story. You know, uh, the, this is a story. This story, this this history within his story, right? It began way before a manger in Bethlehem. And today we're going to take a, 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 a look at peeling back the surface. We, like I said, we started some of that on Wednesday night. We kind of set the scene tonight. We're going to, or tonight. Today we're going to take it to a whole new level, though this format does feel like a Wednesday night, doesn't it? We're going to take it to a whole another uh, level. If you remember from uh if you remember from wednesday night we had a slogan wednesday night didn't we what did we say over and over again if you are with us you can go ahead and comment right now give yourself a heads up what was it we said this when god has a plan say it with me eva nothing is going to stop it amen and that's that is so the truth isn't it when god has a plan nothing is going to stop it and this plan that god had this story uh, that God has had, it's a story that begins a long time ago. I already gave it away. It's not a story that began uh, necessarily in Bethlehem, but it is a story that begins with a man. It's a story that begins with a woman and their God. It's a story of betrayal. It's a story of broken hearts, church. This is a story that begins with broken hearts. I mean, it's a, it is the story, after all, of humanity. So why should we be surprised that it is a story of broken hearts? This isn't how we normally think of the, the whole story, is it? The Christmas story and all of that. You know, I, of course, am not talking simply of Joseph and Mary. We'll spend some time on them later. But the Christmas story actually begins way back with Abraham. No, no, no. Even before that, the Christmas story actually begins with Adam and his great love. We're going to read today in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 27. And then we're going to jump forward to Genesis chapter 3. So if you've got those uh, Bibles ready, flip those Bible pages. I'm going to put them on the screen for you too. But um, I always love it when, when you guys have your own Bibles out because... You can check me on this stuff, right? Let's not trust, trust the software. Check me on this stuff, and that way you know where to find it yourself, and it's easier to share something if you know where to find it, right? So Genesis chapter 1, all the way back in the beginning. So let's take a look at that. <clears throat> then God said, 
then God said, yes, sorry, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. I want you guys to notice right away, right off the bat here, there was an order of authority that was initiated right off the bat. Uh, I'm going to, can I see this next graphic? Tell me if you notice this order of authority that God gave us. First things first, God over Adam. There's God first, and God created Adam then from Adam, he created Eve, and then Eve, he created creatures, all right? So first things first is, let us make God in our image according to our likeness, then have dominion over the fish, over the birds, right? There we have it, okay? This was God's plan for man. This was God's plan for man, church. And do you know what it was? Paradise. Paradise. Oh man, sometimes things get rough in life. They get hard in life. Things don't go the way that we want in life. There's so much hurt. We hurt each other. We abuse each other. We cheat each other. Even good people hurt people they love, hurt people that they don't want to hurt. You know, we find ourselves saying, oh God, this life, it's so, there's so much heartache and heartbreak. Why would you create the things this way? Why would you create me to suffer? Well, that was never God's plan to create you to suffer. God's plan, you have to remember, was this first. This was his first idea for us. His plan for man was paradise. God never wanted to send people to hell, okay? There is a hell and people go there, okay? But God wanted paradise for his creation. This was what he wanted, but it wouldn't last, would it? So let's go to Genesis chapter 3 and keep on reading. We'll move as quick as we can this morning. Uh, verse 1 through 13 reads, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat? You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Oh my gosh. Do you see what he's doing there? First things first. The serpent comes to the woman. The first thing that he does is he questions that authority. You understand me? Hear me now. When the enemy comes, well, the first thing he does is question God's authority. He sowed doubt. He sowed doubt. And let's keep reading. Verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst which is in the midst, oh, hang on, I'm getting a, um, let me see this. Am I getting a message? Everything coming through here? Okay. Okay, great. Thank you guys. You guys know we're, uh, um, we're kind of winging this here with our media team not actually in-house today. So if something is going wrong technically, please do send me a text. That's actually why I left my phone right here. So thank you, Chris. And, uh, Zach, thank you guys. All right, let's, keep, let's go back it up to verse 3. Uh, but 
The fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the, of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4. Then the serpent, here he comes again now, right? <laughs> then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. You will not surely, for, verse 5, for God knows that in that day you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So look at this now. What's the first thing that he does? What's the first thing that he does? He sows doubt. He questions authority, questions that authority that God has set up in paradise. Sowed doubt, and then he builds on the doubt. He builds on the doubt and, and sows he builds on the doubt that was already sown and he lies on top of it. So he's lying on top of the doubt that he's built. Oh, that's how it always happens. Somebody will come to you. The first, they, can't just, they know you just won't believe a lie about somebody, right? Especially if it's somebody that you believe you know and you love. They know they can't just come in and lie to you about that person. So what they have to do first, I mean, we see the media do it with the president all the time. They sow, they sow a doubt and then... Uh, what happens next? They lie on top of it. And people do that in our lives. They get us to question each other. Uh, a Jezebel spirit or somebody who wants to come in and disrupt a home, a family, a husband, a wife, a good friendship. What do they do? The first thing they do is they sow doubt. Should you really trust that person? And then they lie on top of the doubt they've already sown. Be cautious. Be careful of that. That is the voice of the enemy. If somebody comes in and the first thing that they do is they're sowing doubt, they could be operating. They could be operating in a wicked spirit. Let's keep reading, though. Uh, where are we at? Uh, Eva, verse six. Verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, so she bought it. She bought it. When she saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Okay, so he was with her and ate. Interesting. Then, well, conjecture, you know, he might have come a moment later. Anyway, that's not important. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened. Verse 7. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So they knew they were naked. In other words, they had this, it's, it's <laughs> this insecurity. They had gripped them. It's not so much as they knew, uh, you know, something, something, they had changed, basically. Okay, Their understanding of things had shifted. They were naked the whole time. You know, I think about it in the terms of somebody uh, dumbing it down a lot, thinking in terms of somebody who's got a lot of self-confidence, right? And then somebody comes in and sows doubt and then lies, telling them bad things about themselves, and then they buy it. Suddenly it shifts and they see themselves differently than they did before. Obviously, this is a multi-dimensional and much more than that, but I think there's an application there as well. Uh, and they knew they were naked and they sewed the fig leaves. Let's go back and read. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9. 
And I love this, verse 9. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Do you notice, first things first, who God called out for? Who did he call out for first? Do you think it was because he didn't know where they were? So first he called out to Adam. Why? Because, well, what had happened? Who or what was really to blame? Well, the order of authority was Adam first, right? But before I move on that, I always love to say, I love it when God asks man questions throughout the Bible. He's always doing it. Do you, and we know that it's not because God doesn't know the answer. He knew exactly where they were. He knew exactly what was happening. He knew what moment this was, right? He knows the end from the beginning. This is his plan after all, right? This is his story. So, uh, but it's always for the benefit of the person he's asking the question because we're full of questions. We have so many questions, we don't even know what questions we should be asking half the time, right? Half the time we're asking the wrong questions. And God calls out to Adam to get Adam, uh, for, for Adam's benefit. So uh, anyway, now God called for Adam because it was Adam's place now. Hear me on this. It was Adam's place to answer for what had happened because God had put Adam in that place of authority. Hear me, men. Hear me, husbands. But what order, what order, understanding this issue of authority, what order did the serpent come to sow dissension? What order did he come to sow dissension? Did he come for Adam first? No. He works backwards, church. Oftentimes, the enemy finds it an easier protocol to work backwards. Can I see this next graphic, Eva? Satan manipulates the creature to get to Eve. So there's Satan, and there's the creature. Satan first manipulates the creature. Because keep in mind, creatures are good, right? God created the creatures. God created this snake. This snake who had legs. <laughs> Satan manipulates the, cre the creature to get to Eve, Okay, and by manipulating Eve through manipulating the creature, he manipulates Adam. So he manipulates the creature to get to Eve, to get to Adam, wherein he gets where he's really trying to go. He gets to the, wherein the get to God is complete, because ultimately Satan is the enemy of God first. And he hates you because God loves you. Do you understand? Why does Satan hate you? He hates you. He's very real and he hates you. Why does he hate you? <clears throat> because God loves you. You know, it's, it's no different though with us and our family and our children. And as I have children, I'm always, always trying to be mindful of this because of them in my life. You know, my dad was a minister. Uh, he uh, played guitar, uh, different churches. You know, he was kind of like a Christian James Taylor kind of musician. All throughout the Midwest, we traveled my whole childhood. I always say I grew up in the backseat of a station wagon going from church to church, right? Well, when my brother and I were older, I hope I don't get in trouble for telling this story on him, but uh, we, my parents, uh, they, my dad had a tour out in Portland and they were going to be gone for a week or so. And the night before they came home, my brother and I decided it might be a good idea to have some friends over to the house, like maybe 20 or so friends, and just, you know, 
hang out all night. Anyway, that's probably a nice way to say it. And being irresponsible teenagers as we were. Eva, don't you look at me like that. All right, all right. Anyway, it was about four in the morning and mom and dad got home. And because we were not supposed to, that was breaking a big rule, of course, right? So mom and dad got home at like four or five in the morning and everybody was still there. It was a bad deal. So of course, everybody went home that wasn't already sleeping. And I'll never forget, my father looked at me and said, you know, he was so hurt by the betrayal of trust. And uh, it really stuck my brother Troy and I right to our hearts, but brought tears to his eye. And he said, you know, Satan, you can't get to me. So you go after my kids. And boy, whew, that is still with me today. And it is ever present in my mind with my children, because it's the truth. If he can't get to you, husband, which he will try. Okay. I mean, I can't tell you how, how, how big a demon pornography is and all these different ways that Satan tries to get to the heads of the households in our families. But if he can't get to you because you've shut him down, he'll try to get to your wife. If he can't get to your wife, he'll try to get to you through your children. Ultimately, he wants to destroy the Christian family unit. He loves marriages. He loves man and wife. It is type and shadow of, of Christ, Christ and the church, the bride of Christ, right? So he wants divorce. Satan is for divorce. You've got to, when you hear in your spirit, divorce, 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 unless it is an extreme scenario of abuse, uh, you can't give in to the lies of the enemy. Satan wants to destroy godly marriages because, and marriages because God loves them. They're type and shadow. They're a prophetic image of his love for the church. Okay, so he tries to get in and destroy marriages however he can, just like he did here in the garden. Okay, he comes in. If he can't get to the head, he'll get to the wife. If he can't get to the wife, he'll get to them both through the kids. So we have to live our life with, with our guards up against ways that Satan wants to get his foot into the door of our families. Do you understand? Eve is saying, head blown. That's right, little ones. So don't, don't be manipulated. Remember, he manipulated the creature first. Okay? There's the, he reversed the order of authority. Don't let Satan undermine your household church. Amen? Can I get an amen on that? Do I get an amen corner going this morning? Are you guys talking on here? I hope you're chit-chatting it up with each other on the thread. Um, let's keep reading, shall we? Verse 10. Verse 10. So he said, So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Verse 11. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Again, here we see God often asking us questions just to get us talking when we feel like hiding. Do you get that? Uh, do you get that? Oftentimes, God asks us questions just to get us talking when we feel like hiding. Okay? Then the man said, verse 12, the woman, I, I've heard this uh, verse, uh, I've heard pastors have fun with this verse a million times. The man said, the woman, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. 
Now, I don't know. You can put that inflection on there and have some fun with it, but it could just be this simple telling of the facts. The woman that you gave me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And it's probably more like that because he's ashamed, he's hiding. Verse 13, And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Indeed. In verses 14 through 20 then, the Lord punishes all parties. According to the order in which treachery came. And what order did treachery come? Can I see that next graphic? The serpent, then Eve, then Adam, then creation. I don't think it's a coincidence that as he named earlier the order of authority, treachery came in reverse order and now the punishment comes down in that same order in which the treachery came. He punishes the serpent to crawl on its belly, then Eve through childbirth, through Ad, then to Adam, then to Adam, um, he'll work the land, uh, hunt, have to hunt and all that. And, uh, and then he punished creation itself as well as sin itself entered the world. And there, there it is. And now the earth itself is still groaning to be uh, re uh, restored. And there it is though. Hearts are broken. Are you with me guys? Hearts are broken. Lives are ruined first covenant is broken. But with this, with this epic fail scenario, with this tragedy, hear me now, a narrative is birthed throughout the entire rest of the word of God. The heart of our creator, whoo, come on Holy Spirit, the heart of our creator takes center stage and it does so in two ways. First way, first way that we see is Adam this guy who is supposed to resemble God, right? Jesus referred to as the new Adam, right? This guy who is supposed to resemble God made in our image, right? But at this point, I don't know how, right? Why did he read the, or read, why did he eat the apple? Why did he eat the apple? Well, First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, let's read that real quick. Paul gives us a little insight. Paul, writing to Timothy in Ephesus, says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Huh. Okay. So this guy who's supposed to resemble God, why did he eat the apple? Well, Adam knew what he was doing. There it is. And 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, he knew what he was doing. He knew what that tree was. He knew what that tree was. Uh, a better way of saying it is this, church. <laughs> he knew what she had done. He knew what she had done. And what it would now mean for her. And what was his response? What was his response? Sacrifice. He ate with her. He, ate. he loved her, church. And he wouldn't let her go it alone. I, what else, why, what other reason could it be, right? Out of his love, he knew what she'd done. So he took the bullet with her. Sacrifice. Starting to look a lot more like Jesus now, isn't he? As beautiful as that sounds, though, as Christ-like as, as that does sound, he was still being disobedient. 
he still made a decision for her sake to break the heart of God. Thus, he, he invited onto himself the consequences as well. In short order, though, we see our Creator's heart take center stage in a second way. In a second way. We could spend a lot more time on that first one, too. But the second way is this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. Can we see that? Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. What was Adam's first move? Self-sacrifice. What was God's next move? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. He covered them. He covered for them. He covered their shame. The first animal sacrifice was done right here, right here, right now. Okay? People ask all the time, why blood? Gosh, the Old Testament is so blood, especially unbelievers. You know, they, they can pull a, a piece of scripture just from the Old Testament and hear about animal sacrifices and stuff like that and be like, what in the world? This is weird stuff, right? But why animal people? So people are like, why blood? And I talk about this um, during the Passover time, that there is life in the blood. So without jumping into a whole study of that, just base elements that we understand as human beings is we need to eat, right? We need shelter, okay? We understand that, uh, you know, when we die, what happens? Our blood goes cold, our heart stops, all that. So life is in the blood. So it's a base element why blood? Well, because life is in the blood, right? And Christ's blood shed for us was life, giving all of that stuff, right? But also on top of that, it comes right back to this moment in the garden, okay? God knows that we forget. I say that all the time, right? He knows that we forget. That's why he had the seven feasts to be celebrated, to be commemorative of good things he'd done for them. Also prophetic, but... God knows we forget. So God asked for animal sacrifices, church, not because he loves the smell of a grill, okay? Which he, I'm sure he does, right? <laughs> but because it would be a reminder, always be a reminder of what happened in the garden. It would always be a reminder of his love when he made the sacrifice of the animals to cover the shame of his, his beloved children. He covered. That he covered for them. And that he, through Christ's sacrifice, once and for all, is covering for us. But God didn't want to simply cover for Adam, did he? No, that sacrifice wasn't going to be good enough. He wanted to restore the right order of things. Things had gotten reversed and thrown out of order. He wanted to restore the right order of things. And so, before Adam and Eve had even fallen in the garden, okay, are you with me? Before Adam and Eve had even fallen in the garden, Yahweh, Yehovah, God our Father, he had set the world in motion to restore that which Satan would steal. Before Adam and Eve were even born, the, heavens, the sun, the moon, and the stars were formed, right? We look at creation week, right? So before, before uh, Adam and Eve had even fallen in the garden, Yahweh had set the world in motion to restore that which Satan would try to see, steal. Set before Adam. Set before Adam was a promise. And I mean before Adam, before Adam. Literally, he set the sun, the moon, the stars into motion to show us that we would see. He wrote it in the stars. Uh, another study that we do is of the Maseroth, right? 
The zodiac that we know today is simply the Masroth that was corrupted in Babylon. Uh, all of the false pagan gods corrupted this um, map of the stars that God, God placed every star in the sky for a reason. And it is a story of salvation from a, a virgin giving birth, right? To a dragon that tries to consume the child. Uh, uh, the lion of Judah appears at her head. The water bearer carries scales, right, of, of justice, good and evil, weighing the balance of justice. And so uh, we see in the heavens, when you study the Nemazroth, the story of the virgin birth and Messiah is written in the stars. That means God knew and wrote the story of redemption in the heavens before this had even happened in the garden. How incredible is this? When uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 15, uh, verse 5, God calls uh, Abraham out of the tent and he says, look at the stars, look at the heavens, and recount, uh, recount the stars, even if, if you even still can. And when you break that down into the Hebrew, it's the word safar, and it means re to retell the story. Retell the story in the, in the stars, if indeed you even still can retell it. Why? Because it had already been corrupted in Babylon by that point. And then in, famously in Psalm chapter 19, um, Psalm chapter 19, uh, you know, David says, The heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, the stars proclaim the work of his hands. And... Of course, that word there that David uses, uh, declare, is the word Sephar. The heavens retell the story of the glory of God. So, pretty cool. So, even before, even before Adam and Eve fell, above their heads was written the story of their own redemption. Church, Satan, listen to me now. Satan would try to steal from you that which God has ordained for you. Moms and dads, husbands and wives, Satan would destroy your families if you let him. He's prowling this earth trying to see whom he can devour and destroy. We have got to do some self-evaluation work in looking at this. Is Satan getting in through me? Dads, you're not above this. Is Satan getting into my home through me? If you're not, if he did but you've repented... Hold true. Your repentance is real and genuine. The blood of Christ was enough. Don't let Satan lie to you that it wasn't enough, okay? And moms, forgive those husbands if that's the case. The blood of Christ is enough for the Lord. It needs to be enough for you, okay? And vice versa. If it, it, Moms, is he trying to get in through you? Vice versa. Dads, the blood of Christ was enough for your wife. It's enough for you to forgive and moms and dads together, listen to me. Where are the avenues that you're allowing your children to be vulnerable? Is it this, this thing? Huh? Where is Satan able to get in? Is it through the TV screen? Is it through the iPhone? Is it through friends at school? We've got to, we've got to guard the hearts and minds of our children because Satan is trying to get in any way he can. He wants to subvert authority to hurt you because he hates God and God loves you. Somebody say amen on that one, huh? <laughs> Satan would try to steal from you that which is most precious 
to you. God, Satan would try to steal from you that which God has ordained for you, but the Lord has already set your victory in motion. You know why? You know how we know this? Because when God has a plan, nothing is going to stop it. Do you believe that? Give a shout, church. Give a shout. Do you believe that? Amen. I love it. When God has a plan, nothing's going to stop it. You know how I know that? There's this little thing that comes up every December. This is story that we tell. A little story that we tell. Every Christmas we talk about it, don't we? Isaiah chapter 60, verse 3, reads, The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. There we have it. There we see it. You don't have to be a Jew to receive Jesus. You don't have to be a Sabbath keeper. Even the Gentiles will come even the Gentiles shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. And Isaiah chapter 60, verse 6 reads, The multitudes of camels shall cover your land. The drum, dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall do what? They shall bring gold and incense and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. Amen. Amen. God is good. Uh, in the year 1440 BC, in Numbers chapter 24, verse 16 through 17, uh, the prophet Balaam gave a prophecy. Do you remember who this guy is? Balaam? Balaam. Uh, you know his name if you were with us on our study of the letters to the churches through you know, the first part of Revelation. Um, Balaam was a gifted prophet by, by the Lord, and he sold his gifting to the highest bidder. He even betrayed God's people with his gift. So you can be gifted uh, by God. You know, sometime years ago, before I was even a pastor, Pastor Clay uh, was over at the house with Amber and I, and we were just talking about, you know, we see such blatant gifting from God in certain people, even self-professing Christians, but they do wicked things with these giftings. And he, I'll never forget it, said, well, you see, giftings make room for people, you know? Your giftings go before you and give, create opportunities for you, but that what you do with those opportunities is still for you. Balaam was one of those that God had gifted him with this wonderful gift of prophecy uh, to be a spokesperson for him. But rather than do just that, he sold it to the highest bidder. Uh, but he said this in Numbers chapter 24, Verse 16 through 17, let's read. The utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. Verse 17. I see him, but not now, not in his time. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. Hmm. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. And batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. Mm -mm -mm. How cool is that? That sounds um, a lot like something we find in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 9. Keep in mind the Isaiah prophecies I just read you and the Numbers chapter 24 prophecies I've just read, read you come hundreds and hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of years before. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 9, where we find uh, Jesus. Let's see. Let's read. 
Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Verse 2, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Verse 3, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Verse 4, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ, <coughs> excuse me, where the Christ was to be born. Verse 5. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets. Verse 6. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will be shepherd of my people. Verse 6, or 7, excuse me. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. Verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Now, what star did they see? What star did they see? Hmm. According to... Research done by Hollis Johnson of Indiana University, a study that was done by NASA, and a study that was done by the ancient astronomer Kepler. All three of these sources verifying this, according to their work. In September of 3 BC, 3 BC, the planet Jupiter a planet associated with the birth of kings, it was referred to as the king planet since ages old, and the star named Regulus, the most commonly referred to as the king star, came so close to each other that they seemed to touch. Wow. They would have appeared as one bright star, and this happened, according to ancient sources and astronomy sources, it happened on Yom Teruah. The Feast of Trumpets, the Jewish New Year, in the constellation of Leo, in the constellation of the Lion of Judah. Just as Virgo was birthing the new moon coming through her legs, the moon traveled through Virgo. Perhaps this is what started the journey of the Magi. To quote Johnson exactly, let me read part of his thesis here. He writes, Then, then, in early evening of June 17th, 2 BC, the brightest planets in the sky, Jupiter and Venus merged into a dazzling star near the western horizon. <clears throat> According to cal calculations of modern astronomers, in countries to the east of what was then the kingdom of Judea, observers would have seen the fused planets as a beacon in the direction of Jerusalem. Astrologers of the day associated Jupiter with the birth of kings and Venus with fertility. The meeting of Jupiter 
and Venus took place in the constellation of Leo the Lion, which the Old Testament of the Bible specifically associates with the Jewish people. And, and, it, and it happened near the brightest star in Leo, Regulus, most commonly referred to as the kingship star. This is pretty cool, huh? Get this. There had not been a brighter, closer conjunction of Venus and Jupiter in Leo so near to Regulus in the 2,000 years before or since until 2015, I might add. Could this be the event that caused a group of astrologers called the wise men to travel to Jerusalem in search of a new king almost 2,000 years ago? It would have looked something like this. Wow, huh? Pretty cool. Pretty cool. He continues, though. He adds, If they were in Jerusalem, if they were in Jerusalem before dawn on December 25th, 2 BC, they would, in fact, have seen Jupiter almost directly over Bethlehem to the south. They could have traveled the five miles to Bethlehem and presented their gifts that very same day. By then, Jesus would have been a child living with his parents in a house, not a baby in the manger. I'm sorry for all the Christmas plays. Uh, there is a reference not to an infant, which would be brophos in the Greek in the Bible, but to a toddler, pedion, pedion, indicating that the birth itself had been some months before. I find it interesting, church, that although Jesus probably wasn't born on December 25th, that was quite possibly the day that the Magi found him. That's pretty cool, isn't it? All right. How we, how, are you guys digging this stuff or what? Man, how are we doing on time? Oh, we're in good shape. We're in good shape. Wow, without worship on Sunday morning, I could just talk forever, huh? <laughs> No, Eva says no. No, that's bad. No, that's bad. I want to share this with you guys, though. <clears throat> We've got time, don't we? We're, what are we, 45 minutes in? That's, no, that's nothing. That's nothing. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so, uh, where am I? Okay, wrong page. I want to share this with you guys this morning. Ancient church father... Um, Ancient church father, Julius Africanus. He's a guy who lived uh, way back in uh, 160 AD to 240 AD. So well after Christ. Uh, well after Christ. i got a painting of him for you here. Julius Africanus. Uh, he wrote, he lived and wrote from AD 120 to 240. He recorded the Magi's own account of the Bethlehem star. Can you believe that? He recorded the account of the Beth the Magi's own account of the Bethlehem uh, star of Bethlehem and Christ's birth. This account is found uh, in the Anti-Nicene Fathers, the Anti-Nicene Fathers, Volume uh, Chapter Six, under Africanus Existent Writings. So, if you want to check me on that, check me on that. Okay. Uh, Julius wrote. Julius wrote that Cyrus. And I love how the Lord just lined all of this up that we were just teaching about Cyrus last Sunday. Um, pretty awesome how the way the Holy Spirit uh, does that. 
Julius wrote that Cyrus commanded a temple be built to Juno. In this temple were many idols of various gods and goddesses made out of gold and silver with all sorts of precious stones. Uh, this temple also contained a hall of records. These Persian historical public records revealed revealed that the king woke one night from a strange dream. He went to the temple of Juno to inquire of the priests there. In his dream, the idols in the temple were all arguing because the statue of the goddess Page was found wearing a diadem uh, with a carbuncle and emerald on top. A star came down. The goddess Page for them was the Virgo constellation, or the Virgin constellation. Uh, a star came down from heaven and rested on the two stones of the diadem for a time, then went further and seated itself on the underside of the diadem. Uh, <clears throat> a voice spoke. <clears throat> a voice then spoke from heaven, saying, The mighty Son will come to you and be born of you. He who created this world below and all things therein, he is the beginning and the end, the beginning of salvation and the end of perdition. Uh, this is really interesting. Then the statue of the, the uh, god, false god, <laughs> Dionysus, the goddess of wine and uh, debauchery, stated, Our time is over. He who is before all things has come to the realm of men, and we are merely deceivers. And all at once, all, at once, all the idols fell down and were no more. And this is uh, the writings of Julius Africanus, early church father, again found in the Antinician Fathers Collection, Volume 6, Africanus Existent Writings. <sighs> wow. The Magi. The Magi, the wise men, right, who were skilled in astronomy and dream interpretation, stated that the goddess Page was a queen worshipped in ancient times uh, and was long since dead and buried, but she was also the personification of the constellation Virgo. So it tells you that. I shouldn't get ahead of the story, huh? Uh, it was all, she is, was also the personification of the constellation Virgo, the Virgin. The diadem in the way it was described, represented the country of the Jews, for they are made of 12 tribes. They're explaining the dream here. Okay. The emerald and the carbuncle were two of the precious stones found in the breastplate of the Jewish high priest's ephod. They represented the tribes of Levi and Judah. Judah, which the Messiah would come through, and Levi, priest. Hmm which in turn were known to represent priesthood and kingship. The star coming down from, from the heavens is none other than the deity himself, they said, the creator of all things. They then, get this guys, come on, are you with me? This is too cool. They then brought out an old scroll which contained a prophecy about the birth of a king marked by a new star. Interesting. Interesting. On that scroll, let's see, it reads, Church Father Origen, 
Well, Church Father Origen in Against Celsius, Celsius 160 stated that the Magi had a copy of, guess what? The prophecy of Balaam that we just read a minute ago found in Numbers chapter 24. About the star coming out of Jacob, it was given to them by the great sage Daniel after the time of Cyrus's taking the kingdom. Origen also stated in Against Celsus 158 that historical records indicated that the Magi were not Chaldeans, but Persians. Wow. Wrapping this up here. The Magi remarked that a star had just appeared. A star had just appeared. The advice the Magi gave the king was to send a delegation to Jerusalem. We'll get into this a little bit more next week. Was it just three wise men on camels traveling across the desert? Mm. A delegation to Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, to inquire about the newborn Jewish divine king. The king did exactly that. He sent a delegation of magi who had studied the Jewish religion and had come to believe in their sacred writings. These magis, a priesthood that Daniel had started and ordained in Persia, believed it. They were believers. They believed that God himself would come. They believed it. I love that. They come to believe in their sacred writings. The rest of what followed in the record is the Magi's own words as to what they found. And we have the Magi's own words here that were uncovered in that uh, Persian library that had been ordered to be constructed by Cyrus the Great himself. We have... The Magi's own recorded words. There is more to this story, church. There is more to this. We are peeling back the surface, and I'm going to save those words for next week. Don't miss next Sunday. There's a cliffhanger for you guys, huh? Oh, what is the true origin of Christmas? <laughs> this Christmas story, church, it started a long time before a manger in Bethlehem. What is Christmas all about? Christmas is about a promise, a promise, church, of restoration, of restoration that through it all, through it all, we would know him in a way that we could have never known him otherwise, church. Oh, and know what it means to love, what it means to lose, what it means to fail, what it means to sacrifice, whatever it takes to get back to the one that we love. And to teach us that he, to teach us that, well, he had to show us that as well. He demonstrated it for us to show us how, church. He didn't tell us what to do. No, church. I've always loved that saying, you know, um, you know, children, <clears throat> they've never failed to uh, um, be disobedient, but they've also never failed to mimic what they see. Right? He didn't just tell us what to do. He showed us what to do. Sacrifice and love. Hmm. And then he said, it's done. He said, it's done. <laughs> it's done now. Come home. You know me now. And you never could have known me otherwise. 
If I had done it any other way, you couldn't have known me like you do, but you know me now. The history within his story, church, the story itself is a story of redemption. It's a story of salvation. It's salvation, church. You know what the name Jesus is in Hebrew? It's this, Yahshua, Yahshua. I've showed you guys this before. How do you get from the name Yeshua in Hebrew to Jesus in English, right? Well, it's a travel through, through Greek and a travel through Latin to English to where we are today. But that name, Jesus, is the name Yeshua, Yeshua Hamashiach. And that name means salvation. The definition of the word Yeshua in Hebrew is literally salvation. So this week, in these coming weeks, as we celebrate the Christmas story, the, the birth of the baby in the manger and the wise men that come and we watch all the movies, we celebrate the Christmas story. Let's remember, church, remember oh, the history within his story and the lengths that God has gone to bring to us all salvation. Amen? Amen, church. With every eye closed and every head bowed, let's leave it here. I don't know if the Holy Spirit is moving on your heart this morning. Uh, I don't know what he's saying or what he's doing. Maybe it's just joy. Maybe it's rejoicing. Maybe you're overcome with the love and the lengths that he would go to just for you. And he would did, has, and would do it again just for you. Even before Adam fell, he had the plan for his redemption. Even before you failed, he had the plan for your restoration. Oh, believe that and know that, church. Don't you know? Don't you know that when God has a plan, what? Nothing's going to stop it. Nothing's going to stop it. Every eye closed, every head bowed this morning. Lift your hearts to the Lord and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the lengths that you have gone to to show yourself to us, to reveal yourself to us, that we might know you in a way that we never could otherwise if not for the way you went about everything from the beginning, the way that you sacrificed for Adam and Eve in the garden and you sacrificed for us uh, on the cross, God. And then you raise from the dead, Father, that you live, that we might live, Lord, you have done it all to bring us to yourself. Oh, Lord Jesus, there is none like you, none like you, Lord Jesus. See our hearts, Father. We confess our shortcomings and our failings. We confess our sins, and we thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. We confess them to you, and we say, oh, Lord, uh, but for your grace, where? But for your grace, would I go, Lord Jesus? Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you that you cast my sins into a sea of forgetfulness, Lord. If you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ or your life to Jesus Christ this morning, just say this with me right now. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you love me. I believe that you've done this all. I believe that your plan for me was paradise, God. And I believe that your plan for me now still is good. And the plan that you have to redeem this whole earth will soon come to fruition, Lord Jesus. So count me in your hand that I might not be lost. I put my faith and trust in the fact that I, 
that the cross was enough, the empty tomb was for me, and that you'll not lose me from your hand, and that when you come to receive your church, you'll count me worthy and with, with your bride, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, with all our hearts we say, Walk with us all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, if you guys have any questions over anything, shoot me an email, chat at chadrandall.com. Again, go to lifestorychurch.com as well. You can reach us and contact us through there. A lot of questions might be answered in the About Us section too. But um, we love you guys. So glad that you joined us today. Share this video. If you're moved by it, blessed by it, share it. Please subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe on the Spotify and iTunes uh, podcasts, all that stuff, guys. We love you so much. We'll see you back back here Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Uh, and next Sunday, uh, we're hopeful uh, that, you know, uh, we're going to have the green light. Right now, as far as uh, doctors say and everything, we're green light for next week. But we'll keep everybody posted. We love you guys. Have a blessed day.